Welcome everybody once again to the Seattle Sports Union podcast. With me again, he's on the show again. He is on the stage. We all want him to go away. One Matthew Page and coming to us on a dusty road when it comes to love and he's got the truckload. Honey, don't fret. Here he comes, the Soul Man Brian Solak. And guys, I want to I want to throw this out there to you. We have a very special guest today. And we're going to ease up on that Russell Wilson talk daddy-o and remember a cult favorite from a TV show called Bomb Shelter Video. Back in 1990, we watched him on UHF because we had no cable. And we all tuned into Frank Harlan, a.k.a. Billboard, and his moniker, Most Fabled. Welcome, Frank slash Billboard. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. This is kind of fun to do a podcast i haven't been asked to do a podcast so this is my first it's uh yeah yeah so treat me nice fantastic Sorry, i just start at the bottom with us. <laughs> <laughs> working my way up that sounds that's my life <laughs> so for everybody out there who's listening to us frank of course uh billboard uh was a staple he was a legend still is a legend to be honest uh and he was on late night right in between all of those uh, Vern Funk commercials. You might've seen his show, Bomb Shelter Videos. It played all the great music that we now call, air quotes, grunge music. It wasn't grunge back in my, I don't, somebody invented that. I don't, who invented that term? I don't care. Funny, I don't know if we ever used a grunge. I used to always call it underground garage band art thrash noise music. You did, that's right, that's right. And the other day we actually talked about it, uh, Bill. We were, it's, it was so diverse and people don't seem to be aware of that. The music that you posted you know, on your show. My rule was kind of like if MTV rejected you, you're on. <laughs> and, uh, and they rejected a lot because a lot of people didn't have like, you know, national distribution of their product. And then it was like all the local guys. It was, there was really, you know, music was promoted in print publications. It was really weird to me. And so anybody that could get something to me, I would even like, pre-book them like how many minutes is that going to be okay well i'm going to break it you got to get it done for me because it's going in that show you know so yeah well you got you got to see all the famous people the nirvanas the pearl jams the sound gardens all those guys but you also saw the genesis the progenitors you know that's really funny though abraham because those guys got really big really fast and i was still underground kind of guy and all of that. And yeah, I dealt with them for different things, but not everybody, you know, Soundgarden. I did some stuff with True Tone for um, the video sheet metal series they had. And, you know, and uh, and even like Alice in Chains, we shot him at the Vogue before they even had an album and we put them on TV, you know, that kind of thing. But those those weren't relationships. Those were just everybody kind of helping each other. Really? And then the, the ones that got big kind of went their way, and then the little guys kept coming in, and we kept trying to give them a, a boot up too. But you had their you had their predecessors though too, though, didn't you? You you had the Mud Honeys, the Green Rivers, the Mother Love Bones. Well, that's really a good question, you know, because let's say I came here in '87, so Green River was breaking up and turning into like Mother Love Bone, <laughs> you know, and um, and then what, what was the last one you asked me? Uh, I forgot what I said. Uh, Green River, Mud Honey. Oh, Mud Honey. Yeah. Oh, but Mud Honey has always been freaking great, dude. They got so much crap that goes all the way back. We used to do like, like uh, 
Like they did an album, a cassette only release called Mr. Eep. And when I had a fanzine back in the early 80s, you know, we used to have cassette only section. And Mr. Eep was like one of my favorites. And they did like Mohawk Man. I'm a Mohawk Man. I got a Mohawk Man, you know. I love that. So I've always been a huge fan of Mud Honey. Yeah. And they, and you know, and they're still great. They're still great. Like even when they opened EMP, those guys, you know, played play the set of the Sonics. It was really great. Yeah. How did you get started? I mean, I saw you on UHF I, at the beginning of the show. I was talking about that. And Matt, UHF, it wasn't just a weird owl movie. There was an actual uh, set of it channels. Was an thing? It was really? an actual thing. Yes. Yeah. Ultra high frequency. <laughs> it was a lot of like low frequency radio TV stations that wanted to kind of develop their concepts. And so so the the UHF was a little round antenna that you could get, and you could get the TV station pretty decent within about a 20-mile radius, and that was it. So a really small market. So the way I got started was MTV came out like in 1983, and so it inspired all these people that wanted to invest in this concept of music videos to um, start putting UHF stations in these cities. And they just happened to put one in Anchorage, Alaska, where I was living at the time. So I ended up through the process of, of being a late night video jock, doing a live show from 10 at night to two in the morning, running videos <laughs> on a wall and playing, you know, running that kind of stuff and doing live cuts, um, promos. And so they, I asked them if I could experiment with some shows and mostly because they're really hardcore about rotation. Like you got to play this, right? And it's like, oh, okay. But I wanted to play other stuff. So I did a show called the No Wave Hour. And it was promised to be an hour of music videos without water. And it let me get off the regular rotation. I got to play more kind of off-the-wall bands. And in the process of that, I think MTV might have been doing like basement tapes or something. Um, and I thought, oh, I want to do this show. I'm going to call it Bomb Shelter Videos. And I was able to get stuff from like Flipside guys out of San Francisco. And I was trading videos with just other guys that were doing the same kind of shit all over the United States. And we were putting on shows together with each other for our own marketplace real george's tv you know stuff like that um yeah and uh you talked a lot about uh, mtv there uh did i get this weird feeling maybe it was just me being a teenager at the time like they may have ripped you off like they may have come up with their headbangers uh, no. ball to no, be no I, you know it was really interesting because i was already too too old right like by the time i got um to some places like when i got to seattle i was 27 so most of the vjs on mtv were like 21 22 like i was like would be a senior you know so that that was not an option but it wasn't really an interest either because they started to lose this coolness after a few years because they started to kind of decide that they could sell people and market people and do things and and that was really that was really good but there was there was a lot of people that um, so like all this camera gear started to come up, right? Like they started changing um, um, from these big three quarter inch tapes to this beta cam format for ENG for electric news gathering in the field. And so all this gear became available. So all of a sudden all these punk rock guys just got all this shit and started recording everything, Susie and the Banshees and PIL and stuff like that. And two camera shoots and they were dissolving stuff. And that was like, that was amazing then. You know, the problem is people are so spoiled, they think they make music videos because they plug 15 pictures into a into a little program on their computer, makes them a music video, they can right. make the song or whatever, and, and their friends are so impressed. And it's like, you have no effing idea <laughs> what we did to make this so easy for you now. 
Must have been more <laughs> must have been more difficult for you because you wrote, produced, and edited your show, right? Well, every, there was a lot of people on different stages, right? Oh, okay. So in in Alaska, I, yeah, I kind of shot most of it by myself, but I had a friend named Paul Jenrick who was a cameraman, and he shot surgeries at the hospital. What? Um, that was his job, you know, for insurance purposes. But oh, so okay. Had, so, and then... Um, and then community access was just starting. So they gave me access to some gear and then I built a studio in the garage and I started producing promos for them. So they let me hang on to the gear and we shot all kinds of extra shows and we take out and go shoot music videos and stuff with it. Um, just, you know, me and me, and, uh, if you go to MTV, you could, I'm not MTV, YouTube, and just type in my band's name, the band I was in called Klingons. It's C-L-Y-N-G dash O-N-Z. It's not like the alien Klingon. It's like the little poop that hangs on the hair of your dog's butt, you know. <laughs> um, so it's the whole, you know, punk rock schlock shock thing. And we did an album, and that did really well. We got in 1985. We were in the top 100 on, on in Berkeley. Yeah, so that was really cool. Um, so there was just a lot. There it was a long way to Seattle, really. You know, I had we had done all this stuff. We had a fanzine in the early 80s. We did some records with Skate Death and a band called Psychedelic Skeletons, and and back then, all this stuff costs a lot of money, so you're really trying to get as much done as you can in the time. Like, I think the Skate Death album was recorded live. We didn't have time to go back and, like, you know, work it. Um, so it's actually, but it was recorded live in the studio, so it's just really well done. What made you decide to drop that and come to Seattle? Well, Bomb Shelter, I had been building it, right? And so I built it on this one station called Catch-22, which was an experimental music video station on UHF in Anchorage. And... And I had started building the show Bomb Shelter Videos, and uh, and at some point they decided that me and this other bodybuilder, big black bodybuilder guy who had the late night shift with me, like we did 10 at night, I did 10 to 2, he did 2 to 6, right? We were too popular, <laughs> so they hired someone to come in and fire us. And, you know, we got a huge couple of articles in the newspaper saying, this is ridiculous, why are they doing this to the most popular guy? <laughs> You know, and it was because they hired DJs to run the station and they thought they knew better and they wanted to have this. I mean, it's a freaking video station. They're talking drive time. It's like, dudes, it's a video <laughs> station, you know. So so they let me go. But I had to take bomb shelter with me. And at the time, I'd been building relationships with all these other guys and um, and then went to took that one to a community access and kind of developed it. And as I decided to move to Seattle. I was really thinking format, right? Like 30 minute formats so of 24 minute shows, you know, six, seven minutes of commercials, all your stuff in there and started experimenting with another little show I did with a couple of roommates called Frank and Bart um, Comedy Network. And we did little half hour shows of short skits and stuff like that. Um, and it helped me to produce commercial concepts, right? Like we did a show and then we made the TV commercials and put them in the show. It was a total <laughs> fake show. Um, and it really helped. So then when the time came and I decided to make the transition, I was able to build a 30-minute show the way it would be on network television because sometimes you got to trade spots for your slots. Right. So now you you actually ended up purchasing infomercial spots, didn't you, to get started? So, when I, so that's how I got on TV in Seattle. That's right. You know, like I was here at 87 and, and I shopped the show around. Oh, so this is the greatest story. So... No, everybody thinks it's cool, but nobody wants to pay for it. So then I get to Channel 11. It was KTZZ, and they were out Tacoma way. They had just hired the program director um, who was from New York. And 
um, I go into his office and, and I have my pilot show and I want to sh show him the pilot and watch the pilot. And, uh, and I'm in there and he's kind of sitting at his desk eating the pizza out of his box. And, um, and I pop the show on and he's watched the show and he looks at me and he says, well, first thing I want you to know is Kasonic Youth did my opening bumper just for me. He goes, first of all, you know, I love Sonic Youth. So <laughs> I tell you what, they're going to charge you this much money for each week. And they're going to charge you this much to dub your show into a, the right format for broadcast, right? Um, and and uh, and I'm not going to tell them we're going to do this. <laughs> so we're going to put you on the air. So now I'm on KTZZ. I've been on like <laughs> ten weeks, and the and the guys who are above him start to go, "Hey, what? This is really weird. Why are we getting like all these viewers at this time? You know." It was 1 a.m. It was 1 a.m. And, and they're all of a sudden going from nothing to 40,000. And and so one of the head guys goes, hey, get in, let's get a copy of this thing. And so he has a dub made. Well, it's episode 13. And I decided to do experimental noise and industrial stuff because I love that shit. Right. So I'm running like Zev, who's beating chains and shaking milk bottles like Van Deister's and Ounster's and Neubauten, who's playing at Myrtle Edwards Park. And they're playing on a stage in the Drums are burning on fire, and they're basically playing rebar and stuff amplified. It's awesome, right? <laughs> These guys decide that I'm the freaking Antichrist, and they call me in for a meeting. <laughs> and they say, we're going to take you off the air. This is episode 13, guys. And... And I pull out all this publicity that I got from all over the world going, this is this guy's doing this and he's going here and he's taking this to here and he's on broadcast television. Right. And I said, I got all this publicity. It makes you guys look great. I said, if you take me off the air now, I will double or triple this in negative publicity for you. So they said, we will honor your 52 week contract. <laughs> You're at the end of my 52-week contract, I get a call that says, your tapes are in a box at the front desk. Please come and pick them up. <laughs> you, were, you were labeled as controversial, but what you're saying doesn't sound controversial. It just sounds, you know, if you're an average Joe back then, maybe just different or weird. Right. Well, it was 87, you know, and and it was made people really uncomfortable. But the sh they just picked a bad episode. You know, I mean, if you don't like experimental noise, it looks like really weird. But if you love it, it it's like, wow, this is fucking great. But now so, this this was the era of satanic panic, though, right? So maybe they saw some videos with something a little too racy and Tipper Gore is out there waving her finger, you know, naughty boys. Is, is that it was kind of that era? Did you reference Dungeons and Dragons or something? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Well, there you go. That's that's yeah, what maybe it was. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just the it was just the videos were so raw, you know, because that was kind of the thing was I, I if you so the catch for me was like you need to get it to me in three quarter inch format. You need to get it to me in a broadcast format. If you can get your stuff to me in a broadcast format, I will find a way to get you on television. And that was a real challenge for a lot of people. And I probably made. 20 music videos during the time I was on the air, but it was for little bands that I would go, okay, guys, here's the deal. I got the gear for the weekend. I rented it. I got the gear for the weekend. I'm going to shoot all day Saturday. I will give you all day Sunday. Meet me on the roof at this place. Bring all your stuff and any things you're going to change. We're going to shoot you a video. And then we'd make music videos for them like that. You I think one of the, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. Oh, I was going to say, you also made uh, television commercials too, didn't you? Yeah, that was so much fun. But, you know, it's just like any underground project, you know, what you're trying to put out there to get people to inspired and impressed. A lot of times it's like, you know, it's a little not honest in the sense that the ads were great, but we weren't really getting the kind of financial sponsorship that we needed, right? But we didn't want to not have good ads, right? We didn't want to fill with janitorial supplies and Jack Roberts and crap like that, you know? <laughs> so shoot them nothing and run people that, you know, we liked and people that we wanted to bring into this environment and, you know, like the shoe store and the clothes store and the tattoo parlors and stuff that when you saw the ads, like, what was it? We did one for a, a tattoo emporium. It says tattoo emporium where you, where we put your favorite pictures in your skin with the ink or something. It was, <laughs> it was just short and sweet, but it was like, it would make you kind of cringe if you never had a tattoo. <laughs> well, oh, we were, where we insert your favorite images into your skin with sharp needles and ink. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. With with multiple locations, right in Seattle and Everett, multiple oh, totally. multiple locations, just Seattle no, and Everett. Stevens <laughs> was a really great guy. One of the things they did with us one time was we just took the whole crew and a whole bunch of friends and and everybody took their artwork and advanced left it there, and then we all showed up and everybody got tattoos. The whole you know, twelve of us, and then we went down to Mama's downtown and did margaritas. <laughs> it was, <laughs> nice. It was good. Did. Um, did you, I think what I read online was that you used that money to fund your 52 weeks, right? Any money we can make, we funded, you know, we put back into it. To be honest, I did most of the, my fun, my money was earned as a children's entertainer. <laughs> what? Yeah. So, yeah, I used to do a lot of, I did like magic shows and I did all that kind of stuff. You know, I worked, uh. I was, you know, I'm a, I was a comedic performance artist for like 40 years. That's kind of how I paid for a lot of this stuff. So I did special events for Microsoft and I did all kinds of stuff for different Goffman country clubs. And I did like, yeah. Yeah. If you go to my website, uh, frankonline.com, there's just a lot of crazy stuff there. And it kind of tries to cover periods. And, you know, I'm expanding on some of the bomb shelter stuff. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I talked to a neighbor the other day. And uh, well, it was about a, the other day. It was like over a year ago. It's COVID. It's COVID. Time, Everything feels like yesterday. Like it's really yeah. true. <laughs> so it was a pre-COVID conversation, maybe. Um, <laughs> but somehow um, he introduced a friend to me, and that friend dubbed like about a hundred episodes of Bomb Shelter that I had some submasters from. That because uh, EMP has all the masters, you know, uh, Mopop has all the masters because. I couldn't take care of them. And a lot of that stuff needed, you know, stored properly and all that. I gave them everything just to make sure that it survived, but they made me copies of all of it. And some of those didn't survive because VHS just doesn't have a good lifespan. But what did, I was able to get um, digitized. So we're going to start throwing that stuff up. That's awesome. To watch. And it's, it'll be a bombsheltervideos.com link. I've been telling people about your show and I just don't know how to like, direct people to like, you know, either plug it in my brain, you know, put your finger in my ear and download it or uh, <laughs> go online. But there's like, no, yeah, there's nothing online to, to, to go view. No, YouTube has but, very you know, little. If you, go, if you go to Frank online, 
there's a oh no if you go to youtube and you type in klingons you can see some of the old stuff and the and the, our lead our lead guy in the band like i was just i sang in the band i wasn't the leader of the band it was his, his name was jizz um it's <laughs> <Okay. laughs> awesome i'm not i'm not kidding and he lives in germany now which is really funny because every once in a while i'll do a search on ebay for our album and it's always like for sale from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, too bad because what I'd really like to see is the episode where Sir Mixalot is shooting a machine gun on your TV show. Yeah, that's an episode he hosted from his house. That was a good <laughs> one. You know, I'm trying to think if that was in the mix. I'm sure it was in the mix. Um, yeah. Right. You know, I, I have a lot. I have like a hundred and something Northwest bands, and most of those guys aren't on on t on online but if i could get those digitized i threw all that stuff up there so if anybody wants to dub some of um beta formatted <laughs> stuff you know i've got some great northwest bands i'd love to have digitized so well you need yeah. to where, where can they find you if they if somebody's listening that does want to do that yeah frankonline.com all right um yeah you had some I want to say one other thing though. I, I I I'm on your site here and I'm I'm seeing you had trading cards. I I, I want to <laughs> trading cards. Oh there. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and those are featured in the movie Hype, um, which is really a good movie too. You know, if you get a chance to see it. Yeah. So you know what was happening, and that goes all the way back to that question Abraham was asking me about all the you know the top four Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and um and who did I forget? Soundgarden, um, right? Those guys were so big that no one was listening to anybody else, Matt. So what I decided to do was um, put out sets of trading cards and send them to all the A&R reps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we did box yeah. sets of trading cards and bands, cool. could buy in, and bands could buy in for like 125 bucks. And then we'd make several hundred sets. They'd get maybe a dozen sets for themselves. And then the rest would go out to A&R reps and now I know they're still available because a friend of mine who had some sets um, sold them off to is it, it's the record store in Fremont, Jazz, Jazz. Oh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. It's on market right there. Well, yeah, in Fremont. Yeah. Or no, not, yeah. no, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of one in Ballard. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't remember the name right now, but I know that's the <laughs> only place you can get them. Because all the rest of them are in storage at EMP. They haven't packaged them up or put them together. They've got all of them. You know, they kind of got everything. So I. Oh I'm man, you got it, Bill. You got to get you got to get access <laughs> to the original so you can reprint those and yeah. make make some cash. But although although yeah, I'm sure some of those know. bands some of those bands might have copyright for their likeness or something. Well, some of those boxes they don't even know. But like you know, there's a Jimi Hendrix card in there that we were able to put in one of the boxes and. Uh, and, you know, Jimmy's not around, but his dad is. And his dad was happy to sign like a hundred of them. And then they were just inserted. I don't know where they show up in boxes. <laughs> so in those boxes, some bands, the cards are autographed. And it's pretty, it's, there's some cool ones in there. You know, I know Matt and Solak might want to ask about certain bands. So I think we should give them a moment here to to interject. Okay. Have, have you ever met Mother Lovebone? The reason why I ask is Abe's got a man crush on Andrew Wood. I mean, I do. Mother Lovebone. So, but you really more so. So I loud. did, you know. And so, and when I had when I had my studio, which was basically a one bedroom apartment up on Capitol Hill, the first year I was producing, 
um, there was bands that were like kind of up and coming and I knew who they were. And so I invited them to come and do bumpers, right? Where it's like, hey, we're so-and-so. So Mother Love Bone was one of those bands and they came up and they did bumpers and stuff for us and IDs. And then Soundgarden came over and I was d doing this t-shirt thing, which was so funny because it was like, Bomb Shelter Videos t-shirt. There's nothing like them because you make your own. And so... Um, <laughs> What I, Soundgarden was hanging out, they didn't have nothing to do. I was working with somebody else, so I had to make T-shirts. So if you see that ad anywhere, those are all T-shirts were just written. Hand, and I said, just write "bomb shelter videos" with a marker on the T-shirt and wear that. So some of them were that plain, um, and that was our whole. So when we had our TV ad, it was yeah, "bomb shelter videos" T-shirt. There's nothing like them. Um, so I did meet Mother Love Bone that way. It was Mother Love Bone came over, Allison Chain, Soundgarden. So those were the oh. early guys, but this was all pre-vinyl even. Mm. You know, because I remember shooting Allison Chains before I think their EP even came out, you know, and I just freaking love Lane Staley's voice. But like for Soundgarden Screaming Live, we shot some ads for that with for Bruce Pabot, because we were running ads for Sub Pop too, for CZ Records, we were running ads for. You know, we were running ads for Backlash, which was that kind of music news publication. We did ads for The Rocket, you know. So we were trying to to have all the elements of the music scene. And and it's so interesting, the Andy Wood story, you know, because cause it was just kind of this thing that kind of was a little pop. And then it just disappeared, even though somehow it became legendary, right? Mm -hmm. It's well, crazy like that. Well, that band was supposed to be the, that was supposed to be the band that was going to make it big, right? Exactly. They were the ones that were like at the yeah. top of the thing. They were like, that was these guys. And uh, yeah. And then Pearl Jam, you know, comes up out of the blue. And then what was the other thing I got? Um, uh, uh, what was the band that was Pearl Jam and Soundgarden? I got a cassette of one time. In the mail Tem and Temple of the Dog? Temple of, of the, the dog. dog. Yeah. Yeah. And so, they kind of merged for this and it came out like a, maybe an album, but I got a cassette release and I was getting all kinds of promo stuff. And it was good because it was good to have stuff to schmooze people that volunteered for, on crew, you know, give them stuff. Um, and uh, and I thought that's interesting. And then, you know, Pearl Jam breaks out of nowhere, just like explodes out of nowhere. But the whole grunge thing was percolating. And as it's percolating, they come out at the top and it's like, where did you guys come from? You who, know? Did, who did you think, other than Mother Loveman, who did you think would have come out on the top? Well, Alice in Chains, you know, okay. I mean, the Alice in Chains, like when you listen to those guys and the haunting um, vocals, it's just like, mm -hmm. there's no band like them, you know? Because everybody would say with Chris Cornell, oh, that sounds like Led Zeppelin. And then I thought that was like not a good thing. Right. <laughs> you know, as he could pull off notes and stuff like that, I wasn't really sure that that was good. But you know, the guys in the band were all awesome, and and uh, the Mel yeah, the Melvins probably too, right? I didn't know them. I didn't, you didn't know them. them. Okay. No, no. the The big guys were the reason why I supported the little guys. <laughs> okay. Right. So it wasn't like I was running with the big pack. I wasn't like anybody's. You know, I wasn't that I didn't have those relationships when I did get to do things with guys. I spent the time that you have to do go through their manager to get to see if they want to do stuff, you know, just like anybody else. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was a huge fan of Sweetwater. Do you remember Sweetwater? 
I don't remember Sweetwater. I don't, and I know I didn't play a video a video of them because for some weird reason I remember every freaking video I ever played. <laughs> um, so, so tell me about them. Uh, obviously, they're from they're from Seattle. Obviously, I don't remember the name of the album. I apologize, but they used to play like all the fraternities, and they'd play like at the off ramp or Rock Candy, just locally. They never made it big, but I was just curious. I, I don't remember those guys. I, I'm sorry about that. The, uh, what about uh jeez i just lost it i was gonna say uh oh yeah l7 and baby babes in toyland because there were women that that were very popular at the time too um well it's kind of interesting too because now what's happening is we've been around long enough that those kinds of things are kind of being being sent to us you know um we're not asking for it it's just everybody kind of knows who we are and they want to get their artists on our show and that's that was really good but but I think the big thing was that we really always kind of stayed underground a little bit. We really were trying to get everybody a chance to have a video because, you know, Abraham, you you know, I talk a lot. So I have the gift of gab. So we can kill an hour. No problem. Okay? <laughs> but you try to put together a 30 minute show, 13 of those things with, you know, and all of a sudden you're realizing, man, I need like five videos here and I'm not going to play that one because it's seven minutes long. So it better be good. You know, where would I put it so I don't lose viewership? I'm not going to make it first, yeah. you know, and you got 24 minutes to fill and you got to juggle it around and then cut your ideas and your promos and stuff in there. And so um, so having the little guys gave me a show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it gave me a series. I couldn't have done it without all the little guys. You know, and because I was offering free airtime, you know, that got sub pop to start um, getting stuff done, which was really great. Like, like when you look at like the first stuff, let's see, um, what was the first one? Like Tad Wood Goblins was a great freaking video. Um, is is that then, is that uh, Tad from Tad and his band? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tad's awesome. You'll, you you'll love Tad. He's easy to love, and uh, yeah. Um, but that was like the first video that came out. And then all these guys who were like wanting to play with film and experiment and stuff like that, you know, the guys at Sub Pop were giving them a couple thousand bucks, which wouldn't be enough to really do it, but it was enough motivation to get it done. And, uh, all of a sudden Sub Pop videos started becoming available and CZ records was the same way, you know, they didn't have a lot going on. And then because it was worth it to have a video because there was a place for it to be seen. Did you ever feel like, did you ever feel like, uh, there was competition from some of the bigger, uh, rec, uh, you know, music producers and, uh, music video channels that, that ever tried to pick off what you were doing? Uh, we didn't and, really have, we didn't really have the range, you know, we were, we were a regional program, so it didn't really affect us. And, and they weren't putting things up against us They were, you know, when we were on KTZZ, they were glad to have us, you know? And when we were on Channel 11, they were glad to have us. They just didn't know they were glad to have us. But the same guy that put us on brought on American Gladiators and all kinds of other stuff to that <laughs> network over time and ended up being this, this great producer. And now now he mm -hmm. runs all the programming for some uh, for a Latino channel down in Florida because he <laughs> understands how to work it, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, which would be the last guy that you would expect to see at that even walk in the halls of that network, right? <laughs> Started as a page at NBC Studios. Uh, real quick, one more question: Did, Were you ever, or were you familiar with Seven Year Bitch, the band? I love Seven Year Bitch. 
You know, I love girl bands. There's nothing better than girl bands. My favorite early with and and uh and just think of all the girl bands that we had when you kind of go back through especially through the 80s right when we started getting the new wave all girl bands that were actually musicians and songwriters it's like we still don't have enough of that yep you know and uh because i think that any personality some guy can come up with there's a chick with the same one you know and they and and oh my gosh, did you see what video we had on? It's heavy metal girl called Cat, and and she's like in all black leather and smoke, and she's just burning this guitar up. She was so good, and <laughs> and uh, awesome. she calls me on the phone one time. She goes, "Man, I'm so glad that you put me on your show. I just freaking am so happy that I'm on your show." <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Another person I just love is like Glenn Meadmore. Glenn Meadmore, like he he did a song called "Loving in My Oven." <laughs> and it's just so nasty and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, 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 got a question. Got a question for you because you went for the. We called it the little guy, but I mean, like, it, it just. I don't think of it that way. I think it just you know, true people, alternative. Yeah. It, did you ever regret like not going for the money, not going like national, not going because it, what you were doing. Yeah. You really must think opportunity just like grabs your hand and says, "Come on, motherfucker!" Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that the way it works? Doesn't just uh, it just fall right in your lap? Oh my gosh, there's a star. The one thing that I did see us getting stolen from, which was really interesting, was some of the ad agencies would call up us and some of the other guys on our team who were working on different projects, and ask for demo reels because they were looking for producers, but they weren't. They were stealing all our shit. <laughs> just like you know? design design ideas? Or? They were just doing a better job because we didn't have the level of equipment and gear and we didn't have grips and grip trucks and teams and lighting crews. We were just a couple of people with the camera and a reflecting screen if we were lucky that day, you know, in the right light. So, so they were going, yeah, this is raw, but this is great. And they were, yeah. So that was a place where we, we kind of noticed that it started happening. And it happened like really bad a couple times you know so yeah but other than that i don't think there was ever competition because we weren't anybody that was worth competing with and we were we were an okay idea and cable was coming in and it was coming in really strong and that was well-produced stuff all right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let you get away with it it wasn't an okay idea it was an amazing idea and it influenced uh you know a lot of people, including myself, but let's talk about cable. That kind of that kind of hurt you at the end, didn't it? Well, it hurt us at the end because, like, it was me, and then Spud Goodman had a show, and then there was Almost Live over on King Five, and so you know, in a sense, these were some of the funky local late night shows. Yeah. And uh, when cable kind of came in, some we started getting kind of released, like. Like we weren't like good enough to be in the format, even if we paid for it, you know, because like KTZZ got taken over by, was it WB? Well, where do we fit into that format? Right. So we were gone and, and, and they just kind of didn't have a place for us anymore because they had everything they needed programming. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it was a loss in some ways, but then, you know, I saw certain people, you know, find their way maybe back to or to um, to uh, community access. But for me, I kind of had done my time there. You know, I ended up um, 
taken a transition and, and uh, I went into integrated marketing strategies, which I had not a whole lot about, but I'd done so many things related to it that when I kind of put together a resume, I found a job um, doing marketing for a company called ArtSource, which at the same time in 1993, all the graphic artists at Microsoft were going HTML, all of a sudden became graphic based. So they were getting plucked away from Microsoft, brought into their own little group, and Microsoft could rent them back from this organization. <laughs> and it, beca it became this thing. And I ended up getting hired to develop a marketing strategy for that company. And they went really, really far, really, really fast as because they hadn't been defined. And I defined them as digital media staffing. And all of a sudden, they owned the phrase. Nobody could get it. They were the first. And it was killer cool and then i then i did 10 years of integrated I mean, web stuff right building websites and and doing marketing for all kinds of different companies wineries and caviar.com and stuff like that <laughs> and and at the same time i had a comedy troupe and we were traveling and touring we were doing colorado we were doing california and we would show up as like four people but during the day we would be like 12 people <laughs> uh, different times of the day and i worked as a french chef and you know um <laughs> that was a character, you know, um, which was fun because I would like work a buffet and I'd be like walking along the buffet and I'd go and I'd go, oh, what are you eating? Oh, that is such a beautiful plate you have prepared for yourself right there. Oh, I noticed you're not eating the crab cakes. And they're like, oh, I don't like crab. And I'm like, Do you know how many crabs gave their lives to be at this party? <laughs> and uh, and I tell people, you know. <laughs> Take the ketchup and do a signature on the corner of the plate so it will look like art when you sit at the table. And people would actually do it. That's funny. <laughs> did you? And I did team building for about five years. I did a, a, I did a thing called Funny Ways of Making Connections. So I did corporate team building. Hmm. And a lot of these things are just related to my weird skill set. Right. So the TV thing was kind of a hobby that I really loved and it meant a lot to me. And I wanted to do it because I loved the music and I'd taken it from a magazine to a TV show. But at the same time, I paid for all of that as an entertainer doing mm. corporate crap. So, um, yeah. And what? I did that all the way up until I was 50. <laughs> do, do you view Billboard as a character you played or is it more than that? That's. You know, I, I, well, I don't, I mean, I think Billboard is me. It's not like I like went out of my way to be somebody else. I just was making a play on the magazine, you know, Billboard. So for me, you know, cause we all had, when we did our fanzine, we all had different names. And a lot of times, you know, some of us were doing multiple tasks. So we just gave all these other credits. So it looked like we had a bigger staff than we did. Maybe there was four, but it looked like we had like 30, um, polyvinyl, pterodactyl, <laughs> So, you know, it was just all the <laughs> punk rock stuff that you would do in those days. And we're talking like early 80s and stuff. These days, it's really hard to explain some of the things that we did to people because they've had a cell phone in their hand since they could hold something in their hand. And so they've had access to the world when we had access to, like, you know, the neighborhood. And, you know, we had the long cord on our phone so we could sit in the bathroom and talk to our friends you know, living in double wide, Alaska, North Pole. I was like 10 minutes from Santa Claus's house, you know. <laughs> so you live through that as a teenager and then you get into your 20s and you move to the big city of Anchorage, you know, and you kind of like want to develop yourself and you use that as your way to get yourself down a little bit further south. And I love Seattle. So 
you know, it's my it's my forever home. All right. Oh, you're still here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have a little yeah, pea. As a matter of fact, I have a little urban farm. I was going to say pea patch, right? What's that? I was going to say pea patch, right? Oh, no. Fran Mo Urban Farm. So it's a mixture of our names, Frank and Molly. And we, uh, we grow tomatoes for the food bank and for the giving gardens and um nice. kind cool. of you know so a couple hundred plants every spring like i start plants this weekend and i like to do all kinds of weird stuff so that people see and they're like what is that why are those tomatoes black you know so black tomatoes white tomatoes big tomatoes that look like siamese tomatoes you know like someone took two big beef sticks and slammed them together that's called <laughs> a mortgage lifter oh they're huge um so <laughs> We, so basically, so the rooftop at the food bank in the U district, like I volunteered there for eight and a half years, died to produce there. Um, but they uh, they have 2,000 square feet of square foot gardening. So last year, you know, probably a couple thousand pounds, maybe 3,000 pounds of fresh produce off the roof, you know. So for them, I do tomatoes. I start tomatoes and get them going. And then the Giving Gardens, I don't know if you know that, but there's like Giving Gardens Network. And it's just like a bunch of volunteers that have pea patch work at pea patches and you just drop your tomatoes off and they put them in the beds and they raise them and then those go to some of the um food banks but more of the smaller ones like you know maybe the ones that's in this community so they do that or on the college campuses stuff like that so that's kind of like my annual hobby and then we have our little farm which is kind of an it's like an outdoor photography studio like i have twenty five thousand square feet that's set up so that every 50 feet the scenes change, but they're all three-dimensional and it's um, kind of Pacific Northwest theme and urban farm industrial theme. Yeah. Now you're a, you're also a certified humanist celebrant, right? <laughs> yes, I am with the human. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it means that um, I'm a secular person. And so when I hit, when I, when I, uh, kind of hit 50, I got really tired of all these weird meetings with corporate guys. And I walked out of a Microsoft meeting and started volunteering <laughs> at the food bank. Please tell me um, you literally did that. Yeah. Like you just got up and like, yeah, I'm done. I, I just said, this isn't the way it works guys. And, uh, and, and I, it wasn't, I was enough, you know, they're the kind of place I don't want to say bad things about them because they please really, don't. Cause I know. still work there. Um, yeah. Well, Microsoft, <laughs> Microsoft pays, you know, invested in me over the years because they've had me at so many things on so many different levels and there's so many different departments. So, you know, you'll do team building here and then you'll be working another gig at this thing. And then you'll play a role at the Halloween party and you know, Halloween parties there, it's like 20,000 people. So it's fun. <laughs> you know, I have fun. Sometimes I feel like, you know, taking advantage of, but all the entertainers do because we work so hard and often for, you know, yeah. You know. But it's still corporate, so you have to play it safe. You can't be too. Yeah, you can't drop bombs and stuff like that, <laughs> or you shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, if you whisper them to people, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but are celebrate. You, so you, tell, tell us about being a celebrate. Sorry, uh, Brian. Oh, I just want to finish this off. <laughs> oh, so guys, you know, I was at the food bank like two months, and two first two months I was there, and this guy says to me, "Hey, man, aren't you an entertainer?" And I go, "Yeah," and he goes. My cousin asked me to do their wedding. Do you think you could help me with that? So this is like 09. And I go, oh, sure. So I start looking at stuff online and I go, oh, my gosh, they're still selling this archaic bullcrap to young couples. I can't believe it. I would never do this for a wedding. What would I do? <laughs> so I started redeveloping this whole concept of how I would perform a wedding. And it's very different. 
because I collect the content and it's more of a performance art piece that lasts about 30 to 40 minutes. And if you trust me, you'll love it. If you don't trust me, don't book me because I'm not going to negotiate a whole bunch of stuff with you because what do you know about producing weddings? So um, I've got about 700 under my belt now and I'm at 94, 95 with my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. And uh, some of those have been my favorites. I mean, how often do you get a mermaid of honor, huh? You know, and uh, it's just beautiful. It's always beautiful. And uh, I've had people like one of my favorite stories is a couple guys, you know, I'll be really quick. But, you know, most of most of the men that I've married have been 50 plus, whereas most of the girls that I married have been, you know, 30 plus. So it's been really interesting that way, you know, how the where people are in the relationship. But I had a, a couple one year. Two, two couples and I married them on their 23rd anniversaries and it was just amazing, you know? And uh, yeah, one guy, one time, a couple guys come to me from Arizona and, uh, and their story is really interesting because two guys live in Arizona. They've been together like for, I don't know, a very, very long time, 15 years. And one gets liver cancer Ooh. and he knows he's going to die. So he tells his partner, he says, I'm going to find you a man before I go. So he puts a story out online and stuff. And this guy named Pete from Australia kind of picks up on it and starts communicating with them and comes and visits them in Arizona and decides he needs to stay and take care of the sick one. So he stays and he takes care of him. And three years later, the guy passes away. Five years later, I married Pete to the other guy. Mm. Oh, no way. That's cool. Yeah. That's wonderful. You fulfilled his promise. I found you a man. It was, so, it was like, it gives you goosebumps, you know? And I've married uh, um, uh, uh, officers from the Coast Guard, you know, to each other. And the Marines is always fun, too, because they got that sword and the sword comes down, you know? And you, have, you learn a lot of cool um, traditions. So I've done, you know, I've done jewish weddings and muslim weddings and i do some really fun versions you know secular stuff as a humanist um and then you learn all the other things because there's a lot of cool cultural stuff that you wouldn't even have a chance to do if you weren't in this position you know so of all the things i've done and you're gonna hate me for saying this marrying people has been one of the most fulfilling things i've ever done and i and uh yeah and over covid19 I had some weddings that were amazing. 250 guests coming in virtually, you know, stuff like that. It's crazy. <laughs> so it's been really fun. And I think when I'm having a meeting with somebody, I love this Abraham. So I'm having a meeting with someone first time, maybe we're at a coffee shop, not the last year, but prior. And you're talking to them. And just as they get ready to go, they go, man, are you that guy from Bomb Shelter? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I have a big silver beard and stuff, you know, no hair. And and I go, yeah. And they're like, okay, this is cool. That guy from Bomb Shelter is marrying us. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's happened. And that's just flattering. You know, when they see you and they walk in the shelter. <laughs> so, it just it gets me. Nice. Yeah. So when, Brent, marry, when you marry them, do you have to uh, like the corporate events? Do you have to keep the swearing to a minimum? Well, that's really interesting, <laughs> you know, because I have a lot of weddings with f bombs in them. I would have never expected it. You know, I had one couple. Their vows started off. The first line in their vows was, "I promise never to fuck you over." <laughs> and when I pre-read them, you know, that's for perfect. the script, I, I thought, <laughs> I thought, huh? Oh, are, are you just messing with me? 
<laughs> and I didn't say it that way. I just said, this looks good. Just as... <laughs> and then, you know, I give them, I give them all printed and stuff. And, and, and I'm looking at their guests, There's, you know, a few dozen people there. It's a smaller wedding, which I'm, my favorites are like under 50. They're the best. Um, and, and, the, and, they, and they start their vows, and I'm kind of watching the guests because from my position, I can see them. And uh, there's not one flinch. They're just like, yeah, sounds like them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's just so there's just so many fun things that have happened, you know. And, and uh, I had a couple where they did a, she did a surprise wedding to her partner. We were all set up on the beach, and she told her she was going for a hike. And they're hiking kind of into the woods and there's a table sitting there with a marriage license on it. And she goes to her bride. She goes, Hey, what's this? And, and her partner goes, Hey, leave that alone. That's somebody's stuff. You know? and she goes, <laughs> No, look. And she looks down and she looks up at her and she goes, are we getting married today? <laughs> Dude, I was hiding in the bushes in a three-piece <laughs> suit. <laughs> and as she looked down at that paper, I stepped between, I stepped between them. And she looked at her partner and goes, are we getting married today? And I go, yes, and it's, we're having a rehearsal right now, so let's walk through it. <laughs> and we walk through this little rehearsal on the beach. All these people are watching. It was really great. And then I say, okay, we're going to do it. And as, the music, as we start to go, they didn't know that we had a kid in the bushes that had a set of speakers with Over the Rainbow set up. And so as they pass him, he turns the music on, and then he follows them like eight feet behind him and plays the music as they go down the beach and come all the way back up to me and stop. And uh, <laughs> That was such a – all my favorite ones are in the public, you know, because I've had those ones where I've had to squeeze into a crowd because they want this certain backdrop, you know, like at the falls at Salish, and there's like 150 people there. But I work <laughs> circle shows as an entertainer, so I know how to get them out of my way and make them feel like they're part of it. <laughs> nice. You know, and you pronounce somebody and you go, you may kiss the bride, and 200 people start clapping, and that couple turn and they look out and they're like, shit, where'd they all come from? <laughs> Yeah, that's happened so many times. It's so good, so good. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm loving that right now. And I think my my COVID project has been a – I opened the online T-shirt shop because I just love T-shirts. And if you watch my show, you'll see that I have a different one on every week. And this guy um, named Les used to, like, print them for me. Like, he would, like, burn the screen and make me, like, one shirt. <laughs> and it was like, okay. You know, that was Psycho Thrashing, where another advertiser. <laughs> but I would say, you make it, I'll wear it. So it didn't really matter. So I always had something from him, and that was really cool. But And then after I left Bomb Shelter, I actually worked for 17 T-shirt manufacturing companies that do merchandising for rock and roll bands on tour. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Right? So that was at Emerald City Sales. I did that for a couple years after my daughter was born. She's 27 now, so that's been a while. Um <laughs> Brian, you had a question that you were about to ask. I cut you off. Oh no, no worries. Um, what, do you have a favorite concert that you've gone to of all uh, time? Per, per, real quick, personally for me, it was back in it was ninety ninety two when Pearl Jam had the drop in the park at Magnuson Park, the free concert. I don't know if you. Oh, that would that. have been great at Magnuson Park. Yeah, it was awesome. Do you, what's your? Do you have a favorite concert? Oh, I think mine would have to have been that Escape from New York tour. It was Ramones and Blondie and Tom Tom Club and Jerry Harrison and the Casual Gods at the Moor, and it was, it was great, right? Like you know, I mean, and 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 then Joey Ramone dies on my birthday of colon cancer, you know, in two thousand. Oh. 
And I had a gig that day. So I'm like, I'm driving for five hours and I'm just listening to Ramones live, you know, <laughs> and bootleg and stuff like that. I was feeling really bad. Yeah. Was, was there, uh, sorry to hear that. Was there a, uh, band well, that you, <laughs> yeah true death is death is undefeated that's for sure what do they say once you're born it's so, terminal sorry, yeah. sorry, that, sorry that, that happened 21 years ago you know hang on no hang on okay sorry, no, I, didn't, I didn't hear you matt no abe's just glossing over yeah sorry that happened 21 years ago <laughs> yeah well you know they're down to one they're down to one guy and i just think it's just all that damn pizza from rock and roll high school uh, <laughs> no, I'll plug you up. Good. Yeah. No. Okay, Matt. My attempted at empathy did not completely land properly. No, it did not. I didn't stick the landing, <laughs> but uh, I did want to ask you because Brian brought yeah, up but the- that was just totally punk rock, Matt. He did it on purpose. He just got it. Sometimes you just got to. Oh, yeah. that, that's him saying, "I love you, Joey Ramone." <laughs> yeah, you're no, sure? I, I, you got to tell me about bad religion in a little bit, but yeah. Well, do it now. Punk. Do it now. <laughs> oh well. Oh, you, you, you had. You, I, I saw on your website you had you had Bad Religion at one point. What do you think of Bad Religion? Oh, I maybe just had them on a video when you brought them up. I was just thinking of another. I, well, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, it's just you know that's just like all these comp. When I think about that whole period of time, like that late '80s, early '90s, you know, it's just there was just so much good stuff, but it was just so, so good hard, so much good hardcore music, like real hardcore music, you know. Um, I I found some video the other day. It was Henry Rollins when he still had hair. It was like right after he quit oh. working at Hagen Doss in D.C. and joined the band, and and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I played a clip for my friend of it because it's like 1983. So, so when I think of all those bands of that era, you know, they're, they're, they were just, they were just great screamer bands. You know, they put on a good show. They scared the best bands scared the shit out of you. Right. Like you're like watching the show and you're going, man, I don't want to get too close to this stage. <laughs> <laughs> or Hey Matt, have you ever seen Guar? Oh yes. Oh. It's an experience. Yeah. I've seen it's a lot. so fun, you know, just wear all white and try and come out red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Gore, Gore was the band that had like a fire hose full fire hose full of blood, right? Everything's full of blood or oh, okay. experience <laughs> or something yeah. else. Yeah. Usually it's blood or cum, I think is what it's supposed yeah. to be. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, the best but it's like gallons of it. Experience. So you start to doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Well, your show, your show, by the way, uh, bomb shelter video is, uh, what is the reason why I went to my very first concert ever, which was actually Soundgarden at Kitsap's Kitsap County Fairgrounds. And I went and saw them because I saw, I saw a video called rusty cage on your show and MTV wasn't playing that kind of stuff. And you know, it, it was just, it was just really cool to get introduced to stuff before everybody else knows about it, knew about it. Um, but then I kind of, we talked about this the other day, Bill, we, uh, I, I felt a little bit of sadness when things started kind of getting away from being small and local. Well, you see how it affects the bands too. You know, they start to like lose members and stuff because they weren't ready for something like that to happen. Or maybe it wasn't in their, their, in their mind that that was the future that they wanted. You know, I mean, Soundgarden lost, lost, who did they lose? Like, um, oh, I can't remember his name, but he, he had a he Japanese, he had a Japanese name, right? I think so. Yeah. He was yeah. their Pete best basically. 
Pete yeah. Best being the drummer for the Beatles, you know, that. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, it's just that I just saw like different people trickle off and different bands break up and then come back together as different things, you know, like Grunt Truck was a compilation of band of different members, you know, and 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 then some bands you'd see stick together forever under different names. Like there was the Farts and then they turned into the 10 Minute Warning, also called the 10 Minute Farts. And then they became <laughs> the, the Accused. <laughs> right splatter rock and all that kind of stuff and they're still going strong they just put out a new bar with this splatterhead video a friend of mine he does uh black state productions his name is jason frost and he just finished that video and oh my gosh i've never seen anybody be able to do a prosthetic on somebody that actually looked like the girl off of the album cover so it's martha splatterhead and it's really good yeah <laughs> it's all quiet now uh, yeah <laughs> that was a deep cut whatever you just were talking about was a very deep cut uh, <laughs> i'm just really surprised you know people that have, have stuck around and and still doing stuff and you know there's and some and some of the guys you bump into they're they're still nice guys but i think the age has really taken us <laughs> well grunt, I, I was with you up to grunt truck because they were they were screaming trees right no no, no you had Grunt Truck was Tom from uh, from The Accused, and then, uh, oh, gosh, you know, I don't remember. There was so much ancestral movement around in Seattle with the band members. You know, they would play with different people all the time. I'm sorry. But I'm thinking of Mad Season at Screaming Trees. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Or members of. Right, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. It's always like different spinoffs and stuff, or they're like, oh, the, you know, what do they say? <laughs> What's that joke? How do, you, how do you get a drummer off your front porch? How do you get a drummer off the front porch? You pay for the pizza. And, uh... <laughs> it's too true. But that, that kind of that But hurts. you know, the thing is, it's the only guy in the band that's got his own car, you know? So, you know, sometimes bands will take on a drummer they don't like just because he can move their gear. So, you know, <laughs> it's just really interesting. Or, or he loses his place in the band because he's like been writing lyrics and wants to do one of his songs. <laughs> so, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of that moving around. Cause like, yeah. So uh, we go ahead. Go ask Good a sports question. Do you, do you follow any Seattle sports? So if so, what's your favorite sport in Seattle? Well, I, I like to follow the Seahawks, but I'm not like really like one of those fans that follows individuals statistics and stuff you know i like different guys and i like to watch the game because to me that's like the best react football when you're a big guy because i'm a big guy you know it's like it's like watching modern day gladiators you know and it makes me really happy i don't know and it doesn't even matter if we win or not as long as it's a good game if it's a stupid game and we lose then it pisses me off because it's like okay you could have done better i know you could have done better <laughs> i've seen you do better you know but you know, but I'll watch any football team, two football teams play. I don't really don't care who they are because I'm just really watching the game. You know, like I love the strategy. Like you don't want to play board games and shit with me <laughs> because I don't care if I lose. Right. So what yeah. I do is I look at what you're doing and I just play against it so hard that it pisses you off. And people are like flip checkerboards oh, over on you, that, that, you know, like checkerboard, backgammon boards. You know, I fucking choked the machine <laughs> just so that I would the game would be over. <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to play with Abraham. Whenever I play with him, he'll he'll throw his entire strategy out, out, out the window just to spite me. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, my wife hates to lose, but she's a terrible <laughs> winner too. <you> know? <laughs> All right. So we're, uh, by the way, once again, Frank, uh, AKA billboard, I am so amazed that you were willing to come on the show today. We're like I said, we're a sports show, but I really wanted to do this and I'm, I'm happy to hear what you've been up to and, uh, let a lot of people out there know what you've been up to because you made a very big impact in my life. Your show did. And, you know, maybe you don't hear it that much anymore, but it did happen. And, you know, you, you're mentioning the, the numbers 40,000. Yeah. There, there were people listening. There are people that still remember. And it, it's great to, it's great to connect with you. Well, I appreciate it. It's fun just to kind of hang out and talk old music with people, you know, <laughs> cause it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work with my kids. She's gone to all those DJ shows, you know, but I, I raised her on music. So it was really good. I said, I don't want my kid to fall in love with a musician. So I'm going to make her so smart. All the guys will hate her. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it worked up until she was about 25. And then she met this drummer who's awesome. He's on a label out of LA and he tours with all their solo acts and he works in drum therapy, you know, with people on the autistic spectrum. And he just, uh, and he's been cutting tracks all through COVID. Actually, he just dropped the drum track on Gwen Stefani's new video, um, Let Me Reintroduce oh, Myself. So that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Very nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I was kind of like, I was taking, I'm like, his, yeah, his name is Mano, Mano and, and he's a uh, Mano. I'm sorry, I pronounce it wrong all the time. It's, yeah, but so you can you can follow him on um, on uh, Instagram. It's, it's Mono Mono, but it's M A N O M O N O. So, yeah. great. Uh, well, we're getting to the end of the show, and this is where we do our this is where we do our shout outs. And uh, I'll go ahead and start first. I just want to say shout out to Bill Board. Thank you, thank you for being uh -huh. on the show um, and being gracious with your time. Uh, Matt, Matt, you got any shout outs? <laughs> putting them on the spot. Uh, okay, so Matt's on mute and probably has fallen over drunk. Uh, Brian, any hey, shout outs for you? Oh, there's Matt. I said pass. <laughs> I, I don't have one again. <laughs> I, really need to, I really need to start planning ahead on that stuff. You just need to get yourself a list of nonprofits and start I even gave, them. I, yeah, I even gave myself an hour notice by we talked about it before the show. And yeah, okay. <laughs> How about the Aqua Sox, Matt? You can give a shout out to. No, I was going to give a shout out and tell people that that uh, that uh, the Mariners are coming back soon. They're going to allow nine thousand people into the stadiums. I don't think outside opening day that they're going to beat that quota. So make sure you support the <laughs> support it and actually buy some tickets this year, folks. <laughs> Brian Solak, do you have a shout out? I got two. Shout out to you, Frank, for joining us tonight. You could pick your brain for hours. So. This hour has been amazing, so thank you for that. Well, man, I hope I didn't like talk your ears off, and I made some no. sense at least oh, half great. the time. No, uh, if no, you did, if you didn't great. talk our ears off, this would be a very boring podcast. <laughs> There'd be just a lot of silence. <laughs> Abraham and Brian and Matthew, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you guys, and uh, and I know that uh, Abraham said, "Oh, during this last part, this gives you a chance to plug what yes, something sir. you've been up to." So if you're listening. And you and and you want to get get one of these cool bomb shelter T-shirts that I'm wearing right now on the radio on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can get it at uh, lastdooronthelefts.com. That's my online T-shirt store. It was my project during COVID because I lost all my business and weddings and other things that I do. So I learned how to do graphic design, and then I downloaded a bunch of public domain stuff and made just the classic punk rock style. So there's all kinds of stuff up. There's about 400 designs to pick and choose from. And uh, 
I would love you to visit lastdooronthelift.com. And then, of course, and then, of oh, course, yeah. uh, Frank online, right? And Frank online, if you want to, if you want to keep up with what might be happening with bomb shelter, because my friend Jason got all these videos dubbed, and so I'm trying to figure out what's the best way for me to upload them so people can just watch them, you know. Um, but on that on that site at Frank online, if you want, you can download some Klingon songs. There's a couple songs from my album I, we did in 1985, and they're free, <laughs> free downloads. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Frank, a.k.a. Billboard. Uh, this has been the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. I want to thank everybody out there for listening to us. Check us out on our podcast here on Podbean as well, iTunes and Spotify. Go ahead and check us out on our social media. That would be at Seattle Sports U Twitter and like us on Facebook. I think we're likable, aren't we? You seem yeah. like nice little guys. Yeah. See you guys next time. Later. Later.